Every single human being has a balance of masculine and feminine, and we can actively cultivate them. Welcome to this week's episode of How to Thrive. Helen, how are you? Really well, thank you. Really, really well. Um, brilliant week last week. More exciting planning and prep this week for another um, amazing week next week. So what about you? Um, yeah, it's been good. It's been a good week. I've been super, super, super busy trying to finalise the agenda for How to Thrive. Um, yeah, and just talking to loads of people about it. So it's been it's been full on, but oh my goodness, I absolutely love it. Um, and then this week, you know, we're talking to Victoria. The episode this week just yeah. filled me with so much joy when we were recording it. Um, Victoria took us takes us on a journey um and a path that we don't often spend a lot of time thinking about. She talks about transpersonal psychology, the power of knowing beyond the brain. We throw some tarot cards with her. It's a really fun episode. Um, and if you like what you hear with Victoria, she's actually joining us for two days of How to Thrive in March, um, which is our event dedicated to um, human skills to learning within the legal profession. Um, you can find out more on our website, which is www.thrive-legal.co.uk. So have a look. But for now, let's launch straight in, shall we? And join us at the end for some reflections from Helen and I. Here's Victoria. Enjoy. So we're very excited today to welcome our guest, Victoria Smith-Murphy, um, to these beautiful surroundings. Um, a huge shout out to the wonderful team at Travis Smith who are hosting us. We were super keen to do as many of our podcasts as possible in person and that simply wouldn't have been possible without the support of the team here. So thank you. Victoria, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very honoured. <laughs> um, Victoria and I met um, through the wonderful Effie Dower, who we both know, um, who hosts a group called the Women in Law Constellation. And as part of that group, um, Effie invites a variety of speakers to deliver talks on a lot of different topics. Um, and when I heard Victoria speak, I just knew immediately that I wanted you to be on the podcast. Um, so prepare yourself to be challenged by ideas which you may not have come across before or which you may have previously filed under the category of being a bit woo-woo. And if you don't know what I mean by that, keep listening. <laughs> so Victoria, Hello. welcome. Thank you. Um, how are you? I'm really good. Um, I'm really enjoying this beautiful scenery. Um, I'm enjoying the professionalism of all of this and I'm enjoying being with you too. Excellent. So I was thinking that probably the best place for us all to start is kind of just to understand kind of your background so that obviously we've spoken a lot before but I know that Helen hasn't really met you much before um, and obviously our listeners it'd be great for them to understand a bit about you kind of where you're coming where you're arriving at today um, yeah so tell us all about you okay um, so maybe I'll start with um, uh, what I focus on today I hate the phrase what I do um, because that yeah that, that kind of puts things in a box so um, I work as an executive coach um, so I work predominantly one-to-one uh, -one with senior leaders within um, generally corporate organizations um, to really support them to um, lead in a way that feels authentic to them and that is in alignment with what gives them meaning in their lives. Um, so I have a very um, spiritual dimension to my coaching, which I'm sure we will get into. Um, I also do um, a lot of workshops and group programs with people um, and I run a um, 
group uh, training program called Coaching with Taro, which um, again, I'm sure we'll we'll get round to. Um, but overall, I run um, a coaching organization. I'm also the co-founder of a leadership development um, collective called Leading Deeply, um, which is really supporting leaders to um, cultivate all the different ways of human knowing. Um, and, and again, we can we can go into that in service to a more equitable planet. So that's the work I do now. Um, my background is very not that. Um, so I worked for 12 years in the corporate world. So I was a, um, a retail buyer at Sainsbury's. That's where I started my career. Um, very, you know, competitive, very masculine. Um, I was the only woman, I think, in a, an all-male buying team. Um, very, very head-led, very data-driven. Um, I then worked in a um, data marketing consultancy for just over a decade in um, several different markets. Um, and then I left the corporate world in 2015 to um, find work that was more meaningful for me. Um, and, and that has led me down the path of um, coaching, leadership, and everything that is unfolding now. Um, so that's kind of the journey. Yeah. I'm wondering, yeah. yeah. Where does that take you? It's, um, I mean, it's really interesting. And I think that, I think when, when I first met you, I was kind of, I was bowled over by the, almost the synergies between, in a way, our journeys, um, both Helen and myself have worked with, um, the same transformational coach, which I think has really got us to where we are now. And she was, she spoke a lot about spirituality, um, and kind of the the and, and feminine values as well, which I'm sure we'll, we we may come on and talk about. But um, so for me, I think the the part that really grabbed me when we spoke was this kind of focus on spirituality because I think it's something that I hadn't found outside our transformational coach that we worked with, who happens to kind of be based in between Australia and Costa Rica. So when I heard you speak, I was like, oh my god! So tell our listeners maybe a bit about kind of the the spirituality aspect of it, and and I guess the 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 difference between that and what people might consider you know your more traditional coaching so where do we want to start with that um let me i, I want to just kind of frame um the word spirituality to start with because um it, it's most most of us um don't make a huge distinction between spirituality and um or, or can get confused between the idea of spirituality and the idea of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and spirituality is essentially the the kind of the lived experience, the the embodied experience that, that exists within any religious tradition across the world, and it doesn't need to be religious. So spirituality is essentially um, what gives us a sense of meaning in our lives, whether we language it as, as that or not. But, you know, what you just um, said there, Claire, about... Your, you know, our, our journeys all kind of um, have similarities and synergies because we have all been on the search for something that is meaningful for us. Um, and I would say everybody at some point in their life um, gets to a point where they're asking themselves, what is meaningful for me? What gives my life meaning beyond you know, the, the trappings of success that that we that we grow up with. Like most people get to a point where they're like, this doesn't feel meaningful anymore. What is meaningful? And I would say at that point you're you're ste- you're starting to step into the world of spirituality because you're thinking about what has meaning for me beyond the material. 
and I don't just mean money, I mean like beyond the things that we can touch and like feel and, and own and see and understand with our cognitive mind. So anytime we're moving beyond the brain, um, I think we're moving into the realm of um, of spirituality. And when you're talking about moving yeah. beyond your brain, mm. is that moving beyond kind of your physical form or is it moving from your brain into your your body as well? Mm. It, it can be both. So l- let me give you a kind of little model um, that I use a lot with clients and that we get, we, we're using a lot within um, our Leading Deeply work as well. There are five um, domains of human knowing, um, five ways in which... Um, in which we can know something. So we can know with our brain, which is cognitive knowing. Um, we can know um, emotionally. So you you know you you know when you're in love, not because your brain tells you so, but because there is a you know an emotional experience of that. Uh, we can know somatically, which is in our body. Um, we can know um, there's knowledge, there's interpersonal knowledge. So. Um, the, the, the knowing that kind of um, develops between people that is somehow different than the individual knowing. And then we can know spiritually. And and that that might sound a little bit abstract um, and something that, you know, I do a lot in coaching and in workshops is to give people actual lived experiences of those different ways of knowing. But if we can cultivate um, those five different ways of knowing, we can really um, expand our experience of life. Because if you are always just focused on your cognitive knowing um, in the knowledge that that lives in the brain, you are limiting yourself to um, language. You're limiting yourself by the beliefs and the fears and the stories that that have developed in your mind over, you know, over your experiences of life. So you're really, you're not opening yourself up to all that you can be and all that the human experience can be. Yeah, that's that may sound quite abstract. I'm curious how that lands. No, I, 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 I totally understand what you're saying there, and I think it's really interesting. Is sort of when you start coaching people and kind of begin this journey with people, what do you find is the the knowing that they find easiest to do? Is it that cognitive that people click into sort of when you're doing executive? Are they searching for that kind of science behind it? Or perhaps are they are they led by a different type of knowing? What do you think is the perhaps the easiest knowing to develop and the hardest? That's a great question. Um typically within the um Typically within the culture that, you know, I would assume that three of us have have grown up in um, and in the corporate world, cognitive knowing is the one that is most valued um, and the most legitimized. Um, And there's many, many historical and cultural reasons for that. Um, You know, the mainstream scientific method is based on empirical evidence and empirical evidence is what can be observed. And the only things that can really be observed are sort of, you know, the, the outward signs of behavior. You can't observe what's happening within someone's body. You, you can measure it, but you can't observe somebody's subjective emotional experience. So th- there are certain ways of knowing that are more legitimized and more credible in our society, and that's kind of cognitive knowing. What I would say when people come into a coaching space um, is that if, if, if we can um, fairly quickly create a sense of safety, And that comes from non-judgment, that comes from acceptance, that comes from resonance. Um, We can very quickly move beyond the cognitive knowing. Um, 
And I would also say that most people who come to me as a coach are already kind of curious about what it means to experience life and work from a place beyond the brain. Um, I would say the the knowing that is most difficult for most of us in this culture is somatic knowing. So the knowing in our body. Most of us are very disconnected from our bodies. Um, and, and I mean disconnected from our bodies as a source of wisdom, not just a vehicle to carry our brain around or something to strengthen and like buff up, but our bodies as a sense of knowing. I'm really interested in in how our body does that from a position of understanding sort of as humans, how we make decisions and how we use patterns to match. When we feel that, when we get that sense that something's not right, is it through pattern matching, do you think? Is it that we've experienced this feeling before and it's ended a certain way or is there another ex- sort of reason for that happening? So there's there's three different strands to that that I just want to name. Um, I don't know the answer um, and I am fairly confident to say that nobody really knows the answer. Um, you know, we'll talk about this, but I'm currently doing a, a master's in um, consciousness studies and like the kind of too long don't read summary is nobody actually understands how consciousness works. The neuro, like neuroscientists basically are like, it must all be in the brain, but but no one can actually prove that. There's this massive like logic jump that everyone's making to say that consciousness happens in the in the physical system, but that is highly unlikely to be true because you know that no one's been able to prove it. But sort of linked to that is is the question you're asking: is how does our body then no. Um, and th- there's kind of three things. There's instinct. So survival instincts, um, which is a very primal um, somatic knowing. So, you know, if you're, if, if there's a, if there's a, a shark swimming towards you in the water, you probably haven't been in that situation before, but your body, there is a primal response to, to danger. So that's one type of body knowing. The second one is the pattern recognition. So um, the kind of the classic story that's always um, told, I think it was in um, Malcolm Gladwell's Blink book, is that of a a fire chief. Um, A fire chief can walk into a burning building and know whether that building is um, structurally safe or not. I mean, most of our most of us our our instinct would kick in and would walk out, but his job is to save people. But because of the pattern recognition that, that that is not just the body, it's the it's the unconscious mind as well. Your body, your body, and your body mind is a single system, and it is very quickly filtering all of the different experiences that that fire chief has had, and says, "No, there's something here." And I think we talked about this actually. Yeah, Helen, Helen, sort of we Helen and I have talked about it, and actually when we talked about it, it all came from Helen. So I yeah, mean, the, you've got a really the, interesting. The research of Gary Klein was the original guy who did the research okay. with the Brilliant. the fire um, fighters. And the most memorable story that I can kind of recall is the the firefighter who went into the burning building and they were told that the, the fire was at the back of the building and they went into the building, the, the whole crew, and suddenly the, the fire chief said, everybody out, get out, everybody out now. And as they exited the building, the last person came out and um, the building collapsed. Oh, we just got shivers as you yeah, said Yeah, literally. And it was like, so Gary Klein, the, um, the researcher said to him, how did you know? How did you know the building was going down? And he said, I don't know. And it sounds like Gary Klein kind of followed him around and asked this kind of like a toddler asked over and why. over again, why, why, why? <laughs> um, for some time and about yeah. two weeks later, I think uh, the fire chief turned around and said, 
the floor was sticky. And he said, well, what does that mean to you? And he said, well, I had understood previously that the floor was, there was a situation where the floor was melting and that indicated the seat of the fire was under the building. But, and, and with that knowledge, then I knew that actually what was going to happen next was the floor was going to collapse and the whole thing was going to collapse. But he said in that moment, I didn't know that my mind yeah. knew that the so floor was sticky. Yeah. It was just a kind of an automatic kind of intuitive decision, yeah. very fast to get everybody out of the building. But how amazing that our mind can do that. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Or our body can do yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is, um, we're almost, we're, I mean, yeah, let's just name it as intuition. And in the workshop where we met, there are three kind of inputs to intuition. Um, one of them is is the the instinct that we were talking about in a, in a situation of danger. One of them is that lived experience, the pattern recognition. Um, you and none of us would have had that intuition because we don't have the lived experience of of managing fires. And then the third one, which I think is the one um, the input for which there is the least empirical objective evidence, but which is a subjective knowing for much of us, is um, our connection into the transpersonal field. So there is, and, and this is a lot of um, Carl Jung's work, there is a collective field of consciousness that encompasses all of all of humanity and probably all of the more than human world as well, which we are all accessing constantly through um, dreams, through archetypal experiences like synchronicity, through things like tarot, which we'll talk about later. And we're, we're pulling on that, on the wisdom of that collective field in our body mind system, and making and and acts and using it to make decisions, we just don't know how we're doing it, and that's kind of a lot of what the not a lot, but that that is part of the the, the field of transpersonal psychology is really starting to try and um un like understand what is going on when we are having a non ordinary experience like that. So I suppose thinking about it, so I guess one of the questions is almost why does this matter? Why 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 does being aware of of kind of taking ourselves out of the cognitive and and being aware of kind of these other influences on us, why does that matter and how can we, you know, how can we maximize that its potential basically? Um I don't know if you can speak to that kind of um yeah, so I can. I think maybe the easiest way to like ground this in something that's practical for people um, is is to maybe zoom in on the idea of intuition because it's a word that everyone uses, everyone knows, but but we don't maybe actively cultivate it as a tool for our professional and personal lives. So why does it matter? Why is it useful? So um, intuition can act as a kind of filter, particularly in the world that we live in today, like. We are flooded with information all the time, and it is more information than we can hold in our in our cognitive conscious mind. So, if we can really kind of um, cultivate our intuition, so the knowing that is in our body mind system outside of the the brain, we can filter out stuff that's not relevant to us. Okay, so it allows us to kind of continue to function, not get overwhelmed. It can also act as an anchor, like. It is, there are so many opinions, there are so many choices and options available to us in the world that we live in today. Everyone's got an opinion on what you should do all of the time. If you can um, stay connected to your own system and be attuned to your um, the knowing in your body, your emotions, 
um, your experience of other people, so interpersonal knowing, then you're, you're less likely to get pulled into other people's opinions, other people's belief systems, and it's going to be easier for you to kind of take action, stay grounded, um, um, stay true to yourself. I'm going to pause there, actually. That's, I mean, I think I think that's fantastic. And it feels, it feels like a skill that almost we need to go back and learn because I feel like we are also entrenched in that kind of cognitive mm-hmm. understanding, cognitive behavior and cognitive recognition. It's kind of, well, how do we go back and and learn that? How do we go back and, and learn to rely on, on other influences? Yeah. Um, and I, I love that you've brought that in because it is a remembering. It is a going back. Like um, the cognitive mind was not the primary... Um, or it was not the primary way of knowing until um, until the Enlightenment, until that that um, famous Descartes, I think, therefore I am, mm-hmm. um, situation. Before then, um, as much value was placed on the non-cognitive experience of, of human life, the enchantment of the world, the idea that we live within an enchanted world where everything has meaning, everything is interconnected. All of that was the predominant, um, philosophy of the West before the Enlightenment, and and we're we're gradually, I think, getting back there to ideas to to an idea that maybe we're part of something bigger. Um, maybe there is value in knowledge beyond the cognitive. All of that type of stuff. I think I would like I would like to um, focus. I would like to talk to you about kind of um, leading deeply. Okay, because. I was really interested in this kind of the principles of balancing masculine and feminine energy. Mm-hmm. And I know it's something that Helen and I have explored, but it was certainly new to me. Um, and kind of this concept of the masculine and feminine, what does it mean? What are we talking about? You know, all those kinds of things. And um, also I remember working with the coach we worked with, she was very much about, it's not male and female, it's masculine and feminine. Um, so I suppose for our for our listeners out there, maybe you're in a much better place to explain masculine feminine energy, what it brings, what the differences are, and I guess ultimately what the value is in it. Yeah, and and how you work with it. Mm-hmm. How, how, do, how do we ground it in something practical, particularly within the working world? Um, so let me, uh, a useful analogy when we're, when we're talking about masculine and feminine, and an analogy we use a lot when we're talking about the leading deeply work is um, looking at how nature operates. Mm-hmm. So looking at the... Um, the ecosystems of nature that don't have an ego. Like a tree doesn't have an ego. A tree is a tree is just a tree. A, a, you know, the, the clouds don't have an ego. The clouds are just the clouds. They're just doing what they're doing. And within nature, everything is constantly, you know, before humans come and screw it all up, everything is balanced. Um, that's in terms of um, the, the energies, but also the cycles. So let me let me sort of um, pause. When we're talking about masculine and feminine energy, what we're talking about are um, is is yin and yang essentially. So the yin energy, the feminine energy, is stillness, receptivity, um, patience, surrender, intuition. It's a very um, sort of, um, it's a much more grounded energy. It's stiller, it kind of um, holds, like you can think of the womb space, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's a place where 
things are grown in an in a very emergent way that's that's the feminine energy the masculine energy is much more active um so you know and and it is what we would typically value more in the corporate world um so taking action competition um momentum um decisiveness like all of those kind of um uh, yeah, all, all of those more sort of active energies are what we would typically consider as, as masculine energy. Um, and then the, the feminine energy is still. So if you think about it in terms of the, the seasons, you know, winter would be a very feminine energy. It's not that nothing's happening. Everything's happening in winter. It's just all happening beneath the ground. You know, there's this idea of the fertile void, but you can't see it. And in the world that we live in, if you can't see it, it's not happening. I mean, we all made a joke beforehand because we took a picture of us all for Instagram. If it's not <laughs> on socials, it's not happening. That's a very masculine idea. Yeah. Um, so so when we're talking about kind of balancing masculine and feminine within a person, within leadership, within an organization, we're talking about um, a, a, like valuing and cultivating stillness and movement. Um, action and inaction, um, slowness and quickness and allowing everything to have its place. Um, and I guess, so So we're not talking, so you can be male, but still have this balance of feminine oh, and masculine values. Every single human being has a balance of masculine and feminine. Um, it's, it's, it's just that we will we will have different balances naturally. And, you know, I won't start talking about astrology, but there are, you know, there are system, there are ancient, you know, systems of, of um, beliefs that, that talk to why certain people are born with different um, balances of energy. Every person, whatever gender, will have um, masculine and feminine energies within them. And we can actively cultivate them. So someone who has an abundance of masculine energy, uh, which I do naturally, I naturally have a huge amount of masculine energy, my nickname in the corporate world was Red Vicky. I just used to get shit done and take no prisoners and leave bodies in my wake. I didn't care. I just wanted to move, 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 move. So I've had to do a lot of work to cultivate my feminine energy. I have to slow down a lot. I have to have periods of silence. Otherwise, I will just burn out. And also, I will destroy relationships. So that was going to be my question. It's like, why does it matter? So you can, you know, if you are your abundance of masculine energy as you yeah. say it's like why does that matter why do you need to kind of balance it out is that a physical or just from a performance you know you're going to maximize performance if you're balanced or as you say for burnout you know why does it matter i mean every ecosystem seeks balance um that and any any and this is part of systems thinking any system is always trying to um move towards um, balance. Um, so if we think about that within an individual person, um, if you, if you're fully in the masculine the whole time, you'll probably burn out, you know, fire destroys as much as it gives life. Um, you'll, you'll probably damage your relationships. Um, and, and you will, you will be, not will be, you are likely to be left with a sense of emptiness or, or imbalance. It's why, you know, many people in the corporate world get to a point where they're like, this isn't really meaningful for me anymore. Um, if you've got an overabundance of feminine energy, um, it, it can be difficult to get stuff done sometimes. 
Um, and unfortunately, we do live in a world that favours the masculine over over the feminine energies. That was going to be my question yeah. was that sort of taking a step back, it feels like perhaps women are increasing, increasingly kind of encouraged over time to embody more masculine values to get things get things done to perform at the same level perhaps um and that feels like it could come at a really high cost it it can and i know i would say it's not just for women um i think you know men also have to um over cultivate their masculine um and and you know you can see it in organisations as well. Like, I'm sure we've all been in situations where there is an overabund overabundance of masculine energy within an organisation, whether it's males or females. You know, in positions of authority, it's all about goals, um, um, winning against winning market share, all of that type of stuff at the expense of employee well-being. Um, longevity and and that's when you know that the, the system will always speak like that's a phrase i love within systemic thinking whether we're talking about an individual person or whether we're talking about an organization look at what's happening in order to hear the voice of that system if somebody's constantly tired or burnt out there's probably an imbalance of energy if a, if a, if an organization has massive turnover all the time that's the system speaking and saying something's out of balance here so the, you, you can tell when things are out of balance. It's just we don't necessarily use that. You know, we'll just do a restructure to try and figure it out or, you know, get a new personal trainer to try and, you know, get your energy levels back. We don't often look at the kind of or what else might be going on, what's out of balance here. So, um, so I was just going to say that um, I sort of um, do quite a lot of civility research as well and... This is really kind of resonating with me. When we look at systems of work where we know that we've got incivility happening, yeah. it's so frequently that masculine energy that is 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 kind of people are being driven to because they believe that that's the way to get it done, and perhaps that's the behaviour that's been modelled to them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know that sort of if we use surgeons as an example, surgeons get a really bad rap, but because they can be quite. Um, sort of direct and, and forceful and I want this now and all the rest of it. And and that's passed down through generations of surgeons because that's how it's modelled and, and, you know, that kind of... But it leads to, obviously, burnout, unhappiness, you know, retention and recruitment issues within um, in organisations. And I'd never thought it from the perspective of en energy and, and masculine and feminine and how that could potentially also come into play and, and really help organisations understand. And, and it is deeply uncomfortable in our culture to do nothing. Like, even just then, I left I left a silence yeah. of like two <laughs> seconds and we were all looking at each other like, oh my God, are we supposed to say something? Like, we're not comfortable with silence. We talk more than we listen. And when faced with difficulty or challenge we, we instant what can I do about this how can I solve this problem and a lot of the work that I do um both with individual clients with organizations within leading deeply is saying well what if we just stop 
But if we just get still, listen, feel, drop out of the brain, feel into what's happening, what what new knowing emerges? And you know, that um veterinary science, um, medicine, education, like these types of institutions are, you know, culturally very masculine. Um law as well. I th- I think I think what is particularly interesting is I think there's a lot of chat about, you know, we talk about diversity and you know um kind of representation of different genders on 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 boards and in boardrooms and in you know in the legal world it's kind of at that that partnership level but i think it's a difficult thing to buy into when people don't understand why you know it's not just about kind of bums on seats it's there is actually a tangible benefit to teams to businesses to organizations and I think it's really interesting to hear it from the like the energy side of things and to kind of tie it back to actually nature and and where it all began yeah. and yeah. we are and, nature yeah. we are nature we are not and that's why it's important nature. and that's why it works ultimately yeah so I feel like now might be the time where we start talking about tarot cards. Yes. yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Tarot cards. Um, because I could not leave you without talking about tarot cards because I have to say that when we met and you were like, right, should we do some tarot cards? Literally, there was a group of lawyers around the table who went, oh, yes. <laughs> please, just please. So, because um, you don't look like a witch. <laughs> I might look like a modern witch. There's some amazing pictures so, on this. Tell us about tarot cards mm. before we start and um, kind of how they fit into everything we've just spoken about. Mm. And um, yeah, tell us all. Uh, so, so tarot is a... Um, uh, a system of uh, wisdom, a system of um, knowledge that I have been using within coaching probably for about six or seven years now. Um, tarot is essentially a map of human experience. So it is, um, it's 78 cards, which are all archetypal. So again, back to that idea of the, the collective consciousness and the fact that, you know, we've, that there's archetypal themes of human experience that are true for you, Claire, as they are true for a shepherd on the side of a mountain in on the other side of the world. Um, so the thing about tarot cards is because of the structure of the deck, and I can talk about that, um, they, they are really, um, you will resonate with the archetypal theme of every single one of those cards. So what that means is that when we're using them with the con- within the context of coaching, they meet us on a, on a resonant level. They meet us on a level that is outside of the brain. Because so, if you if you turn over a card and it's to do with um, recovering from heartbreak, like that's that's not a that's not a cognitive experience. Like there is something about the images of tarot cards that meet us on, on a non cognitive level and allow us to um, get a new perspective on our experience. So the way I tend to use tarot cards within coaching. Um, is as a mirror, a mirror to kind of um, access our intuition. So if we get stuck in a session, I might ask, we might ask a question like, um, what are we not seeing here? And we'll pull a card. And somebody's response to the card will often unlock a new understanding of what are we not seeing? And it will take us, It will, but it's not about telling someone someone they don't know about themselves. It's about accessing something within yourself or something in the collective consciousness, depending on your perspective, that is meaningful for you. 
Jung talked about tarot as, um, oh, he talked about synchronicity in general as meaningful coincidence. Okay, so meaning does not exist just in our minds. There is meaning everywhere in the world. There is meaning in ink on paper. It's when it meets our creative energy, the meaning of the thing outside meets the meaning inside, that it can start to kind of um, help us to understand ourselves in a different way. We can do some if you want. If you want to actually yeah. like bring it to life. <laughs> let's, let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, I'm very excited. So let's give it a go. The, the other thing about tarot is um, back to that balance thing. Everything is about balance in tarot. I'd just like to ask your poll whether tarot cards have ever been done at Travis Smith before. <laughs> um, <laughs> do we know? Do we know? Anyone? First time for everything. I remember doing a, um, a workshop with one of the big banks in Canary Wharf um, and like slinging a bunch of cards and everyone was just like, Okay, okay, great. We're doing this, are we? <laughs> but people love it. Yeah. Because it is a very, you know, if, uh, like any of these, you know, systems of wisdom, they, um, they're they not separate from us. I don't use this as an occult. You know, I, I do believe some people have psychic ability. I don't believe I do. Um, and I don't believe in channeling spirits through something like this. What I do believe is that um, there are archetypal human experiences and tarot are, is a beautiful way of sort of, embodying those archetypal experiences and bringing them into our field, our individual human field. So to be clear, we're not yes. asking to communicate. We are not communicating with, with anybody no, or, we're or not beyond. Communicating we're unlocking. But we're what we're unlocking. doing is is communicating with parts of ourselves we may not find through other means or things that are, you know, we're not normally conscious of. Yeah, you may be unconscious of, or you may not be a conscious of, or you may have a put into the shadow. So a question that I will sometimes ask is, um, uh, what's the part of myself that I don't like to look at? Uh, I'm not saying we should necessarily do that here because it can get quite deep, but um, that that can be a really powerful question um, because it's not like you don't know it. It's just you've pushed it somewhere. Yeah. Just don't look at it. Um, so I'm wondering if we maybe, well, what's I don't know. Maybe what's a what's a question that you're that each of you are maybe holding. Um, it could be something like, um, what's our hope for this podcast? Well, let's let's go with that. What's yeah, our hope for the pod, good, for this yeah. podcast. Okay. What's our hope for the podcast? Do you want to do this as a joint reading, pull a card for you as a as a pair, or do you want to? What's Helen's hope for the podcast? What's Claire's hope for the podcast? Let's do it as a joint one. Just yeah, to, um, yeah. Let's do it yeah. as a joint one. Okay. So, what we're going to do is I'm going to spread the deck, and you are just going to pick one card. In fact, let's pull two cards because then both of your energy goes into it. Um, I'll ask you to pull one card each and then we'll just turn them over and we'll see what, what story they reveal to us. Okay. So for everyone, we are asking the question, what is Claire and Helen's hope for the podcast? These cards don't spread very easily. Just see what you're drawn to, follow your intuition, don't overthink it. And we'll be looking at them together. Beautiful. Okay, I'm sure the uh, sound is going to get terrible on this, Jane. Sorry. Okay, so why don't you put them on the um, put them together? Oh, beautiful. Okay, so um, Claire pulled the Six of Cups and Helen pulled the Magician. Is that right? Yep. So before I share the kind of archetypal themes of those cards, what response do you guys have? Maybe maybe respond to your individual cards and then and then we'll look at them together. That's my card there. So it's a picture of Six of Cups and it's 
And it fills me with joy. Joy. Because, um, and it's joy and it's giving and it's um, learning and um, I guess experience that that's kind of what I what I feel when I look at that that card, mm. um, which in turn fills me with joy because I, I smiled myself and I pulled it because I was like that's everything I hope will this podcast will be okay. And I can see that there's an emotional resonance there with yeah. that card, and that's that's the power of an archetypal yeah. um, tool like tarot is it taps into something. You are knowing something emotionally right now. Yeah, it's amazing. Helen, what's where does the magician take you? It it's interesting. I, I <laughs> and, and if you have no reaction to it, that's 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 knowledge as well. So I suppose my kind of feeling is that I think sometimes this this is a journey and feels like a magical journey sometimes. Okay. So I suppose that kind of element of it, of kind of just the joy in the in that journey and the unknown, is is kind of where that takes me. Um, but I always struggle because I don't know whether anybody listening might feel the same. Because I I'm really interested in all this stuff, but I'm obviously very ingrained in science and research. So sometimes my scientific like, okay, what's the evidence? So what I want to I want to hear what you're going to say next first. <laughs> Well, why don't I share, I'm going to hold them up. Um, let, let me share a couple of thoughts and then we'll see where it takes us. Um, so six cups and the magician. Um, so first thing to say is that um, we've got a feminine card and a masculine card. Um, so the six of cups, um, the cups as a suit is related to the heart. Okay, it's the, it's the place of emotion and relationships and water. And so it's associated with the um, astrological signs of Scorpio, Cancer and Pisces. Um, so the six of cups is to do with um, the, the childlike nature of our um, of our human experience. Um, so it is to do with things like um, joy and innocence and playfulness and naivety and um, like really connecting back with your inner child. Okay, and there's there's a there's a kind of a, a sweetness almost to the six of cups. The magician is um, the ultimate like card of resource okay it is a card of action um it is um it is an indication that you're ready um you know that it's it's a kind of just do it card um you've got all the resources you need it is a card of action um so you've got very much this kind of balance of masculine and feminine um the the balance of innocence or sort of um newness um, not really knowing, but giving it a go anyway, and you've got everything that you need. So it's it's a really kind of balanced pair, um, and I'm wondering where that takes you guys when you hear that. Feels feel amazing, really. Now it feels emotional. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what's the, what's the emotion that's with you? Well, you um, I God, I don't know. Like relief, like joy of kind of like, you know, sometimes it's really hard to follow your intuition. But when you feel like you have purpose, when you discover purpose, mm -hmm. it makes it possible, right? And that's what this is about, making it possible, actually. Mm -hmm. Actually doing what you dream. And, and yeah. because and the newness and kind of the yeah. new ideas and dispelling yeah. them. And the curiosity of all of it, of the learning of just the journey. Mm -hmm. It is a journey. 
And on that possible, there's a quote I love, which is, um, the question is not, is it possible? The question is always, am I willing to believe it's possible for me? Um, love that. It's one of my favorite kind of reminders. Now we are going to, I'm, you know, I could sit and talk to you literally for all day. And, um, and I'm already thinking we, we're going to need to get you back to talk about astrology. Definitely. Um, but I guess to round things off is just to explore, we're going to ask all of our guests really your three top tips for thriving Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, don't have to be long, just what are your three top tips for thriving, whether it's with personal or professional or, you know, so I thought about this and I wrote them down um, because I'm ultimately a nerd. (laughs) Um, So I have three top tips for thriving um, and I don't really distinguish between personal and professional because, you know, how we do one thing is how we do everything. Um, Number one is um, learn to self-regulate. It is difficult to thrive when your body is not regulated. So number one, find a way of regulating your nervous system. Um, And, you know, I imagine you'll have other podcasts about that. Uh, Number two is cultivate your intuition. Um, So really um, find a way of of cultivating your relationship with your centers of knowing that, that are beyond the brain. And the third one is get really clear on your personal definition of success. Um, There is a very limited definition of success in our culture, which is to do with money, status, power, material belongings, um, uh, position versus others. Um, that, that, That is very few people's real definition of success if they strip away their parents' expectations and and social media and all that stuff. So do the work to get really clear on what makes you feel um, successful. Um, And that might be to do with values, that might be to do with your definition of happiness, all that stuff. And use that as your compass rather than um, society's definition of success. Amazing. Okay. Victoria. Thank you so much. Thank it's you. Been it's been an absolute, absolute joy. It's just been amazing to sit and talk to you. And as I say, I could talk to you all day I about this. I too abstract. I can um, get quite abstract. No, but I love that because that's the whole point that we want to introduce people to different ideas about how to thrive and different experiences that will help them in their in their daily corporate world. Um, so I think, yeah, just massive thank you. And for anybody out there who wants to learn more um Check out Leading Deeply. Yep, leadingdeeply.co.uk. Perfect. And um, we also, you know, have a look at thrive-legal.co.uk where we'll um, we'll put more information about Victoria and everything she's doing. But um, check it out because I think really valuable skills that I've learned in recent years and have really changed the way that I view my levels of success. Definitely. Thank you so much. So absolutely enlightening. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. So, talking to Victoria, blew my mind. Yeah, so many light bulb moments. Absolutely, I I loved the fact that she she really inspired me. The fact that she'd kind of obviously worked in one industry in in one sector and then followed her passion and her purpose. I love the fact that she's still learning, um, yeah. still kind of progressing that really curious, really humble, kind of exploring what this all means and how we can contextualize it towards our world and, and what it kind of, how we can use it. I, I found yeah. that really, I, I kind of took a big step back and wanted to spend some time sort of just letting it sit with me for a bit to 
think that's true. And that whole getting out of your head and into your body. Mm. I just, I mean, when when I first attended a session with Victoria, I literally sat with my mouth wide open the whole time. <laughs> going, oh my God, I just need to soak up all of this. It's just, it's just, it fascinates me in a way. It, it just in a, in a, it just blows my mind that kind of the importance of this transpersonal space and yeah. kind of intuition. I used to, I used to, I used to laugh, uh, joke a lot, and I still do about following my gut. Like if I, do, if yeah. I, you know, working with people in, you know, like CEOs and CFOs, they'll ask me a question, and I may not know the answer immediately, and I'll say that I'll say, oh, I don't quite know, but I can go away and find out for sure. But my gut's saying it's not a good idea, or my yeah. gut's saying it's a good idea. Um, and so I've used that as a kind of as, as a um, monitor of success, I suppose, for, yeah. for quite a while. But I've always thought it was a bit gimmicky in many respects. You know, I didn't really mm. trust my gut. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. actually... But we should because I've yeah. I've been in several situations that I can think of where I've, you know, one fairly recently where I've really kicked myself because I've my gut feeling yeah. was that, that it wasn't a good idea, it wasn't going to work. And then, you know, my my cognitive kind of rationale was like, but, you know, you should try this. And then retrospectively, should listen to my gut. Yeah. It, it's so important, isn't it? That kind of, and, and to understand the kind of knowings that we don't really develop, that we, there's so much. And I guess it's about making that pause, isn't it? Yeah. To actually listen to how we feel about something rather than kind of having this, as we talk about like um, immediate returns for stuff, make quick, quick, or oh, we were talking about masculine energy, weren't we? About yeah. these like just do it kind of moments. Actually finding that, second gear switching from that kind of automatic decision making into more slow conscious deliberate behavior which is more about really thinking about all of the aspects of yeah. it and how we feel and i think i think the more i learn about this kind of subject i sort of take a sit back and say well, actually next time i have to make a big decision i need to make the space to yeah. listen to every part of it's me about that alignment you know mm. with your head and your heart and your body and i think that I, i've spoken to a few people actually since we sat down with victoria about this kind of the masculine and feminine energy and about the yin and the yang yeah. and the importance of both for nature and for for successful businesses yeah um and i think it's a really powerful way of uh explaining why female presence is 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 so necessary within successful mm -hmm. organization and i say female it doesn't have to be female no like feminine values feminine isn't it but the feminine values energy, yeah and the feminine energy i think i think that's exactly right like you you have to have this balance yeah um and i thought that was really interesting and then doing the tarot cards i mean if someone had if someone had suggesting tarot cards to me like probably as probably as recently as five years ago i'd i'd probably have have kind of got, oh, I don't need tarot cards. What are well, you how, talking about? How would you have felt though? Because I think. I thought she was going to tell me whether, you know, when I was going to die. I thought, was <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was going to turn over the death card. Um, I, I wondered think, if it might have elicited a bit of a fear yeah, in you. Like a bit of exactly a fear it. of unknowing. And I've, I've kind of had, I was quite excited about them because I've kind of um, been on yoga retreats and stuff like that where we have used tarot cards and for real positive energy and it hasn't been for, it hasn't been for any of those things that you classically associate with tarot. And I love the idea for of coaching with tarot. Yes. I love the idea of yeah, asking the question or why are we stuck or, you know, what's, 
what's going on here that I can't see um, yeah. and seeing what resonates. And I love the fact of what our cards gave to us was really, really interesting because I don't, I don't necessarily think we captured it on the recording, but, you know, afterwards we sort of continued to discuss the fact that I'd picked the masculine card and, yes. and in our relationship as, as sisters, actually probably if we were to say who had more masculine energy, who had more feminine energy, then I would have more feminine energy. Mm. And so it was really interesting that I picked perhaps what I needed it, and you you picked the more feminine. And it can't, it just speaks to this kind of yin and yang of of sort of how it all fits together, which I found incredibly um, positive and inspiring. And um, yeah, I think it, thinking about what you do, what you don't know, you don't know, do you? No. So it's really easy to say, Tarot, what a load of rubbish. Exactly. But actually, maybe there are some applications when we're not looking to communicate beyond and all of that stuff, but maybe some people, you know, and if if people are aligned with that, then that, that's also fine. Yeah. But for me, if I, I love the fact it's like that the power explored, of curiosity. Isn't yeah, it? exactly. It's like delving a little bit deeper and, you know, how can we kind of get into the weeds of this a bit further? It's about like asking the questions. And really, when we started this podcast, that's, I feel like this really, I think Victoria's episode is is kind of, I feel quite quite emotional about it because I feel yeah. like it really dem- it, it really goes to the core of the heart of what we want to do which is take people out you know encourage people to be curious about different ways of thriving different ways of looking at yourself and your environment um so that you are you know empowered to the maximum of your abilities yeah and I think um Victoria also and I, I hope it kind of comes across on the recording that she brought such a lovely energy with mm, her she did um and sort of almost immediately put us both very very ease feeling very relaxed um yeah she I, I really enjoyed the podcast and I think it really kind of cemented in my mind the importance of understanding energy the importance of kind of spirituality and understanding that kind of aspect of stuff as an adjunct to, to everything else yeah. um it certainly left me wanting to learn more yeah for sure Definitely, definitely. And I think we all decided that we all needed to enroll on all of our courses, didn't we? <laughs> yes, um, exactly. Especially like coaching with tarot. I'm fascinated by that. Yeah. Fascinated by it all. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome.